I'm off and I'm... Okay. It, it, can you guys hear me in the back? Oh, I am on. Okay. Boy, that took up like a minute of my time. Um, uh, thank you. Um, thank you, Milton, just for your kind words. Um, thank you. Thank you, Terry. Okay. Oh, I have to use this? Is, is uh, the little, this isn't working? Well, it, I think it's on. Okay, they tell me they use the pulpit, so I'll, I'll use the pulpit. Um, I want to just begin by acknowledging here the fact that it is not at all uncommon for people to feel alone in our culture, in our society. Um, in fact, it, it is not all that uncommon for God's people at times to feel alone. We, we can experience loneliness even though we are surrounded by people. Uh, sometimes people feel loneliness even within the context of their marriages. There are folks who come to church from Sunday to Sunday and even therein, they might actually feel isolated. They may feel lonely. There may be those involved in small groups of one type or the other. And nevertheless, uh, those small groups um, are, is no guarantee that a person will not experience a sense of loneliness. And way back in the first book of the Bible in Genesis, we read that it is not good for a man to be alone. Loneliness is not good. God created us for relationship. And part of the reason why it is not good for man to be alone is because in being alone, we cannot reflect the image of God. We cannot mirror the image of God as he has intended for us to do. Our text this morning assumes that God's people are in relationship. This is simply an assumption. The text that we will be looking at assumes that God's people are in relationship. It assumes that, that they are in relationship first and foremost with God, and then beyond that in relationship horizontally with one another. This morning I want to speak to the topic of relationships relationships, what we are called to do in our relationships with one another, what we are called to do in our relationships with one another. I want to ask you to turn in your Bibles then to 1 Thessalonians 5. Turn in your Bibles, please, to 1 Thessalonians 5, beginning in verse 9. And while you are turning there, let me say that, that our passage, in a sense, can be broken down three ways. Three ways. First of all, our passage addresses the issue of relationships in general. And then secondly, it, it gets a little more specific in that it addresses our relationships with spiritual leaders. And then beyond that, it addresses our relationships with those who are struggling, with believers who are struggling. So that's kind of a broad overview of this passage. Dealing with relationships in general, relationships between the leaders of a church and the flock, 
and the relationships of people um, to those who are struggling in one way or another. I want to begin in verse 9, but the actual passage that we're focusing on really is beginning in verse, verses 11 to 15. But look at verse 9 with me. For God has not destined us for wrath, but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, who died for us, that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together in relationship with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build up one another, just as you also are doing. But we request of you, brethren, that you appreciate those who diligently labor among you and have charge over you in the Lord and give you instruction and that you esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Live in peace with one another. And we urge you, brethren, admonish the unruly, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with all men. See that no one repays another with evil for evil, but always, always, always seek after that which is good for one another and for all men. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, we come together before your throne of grace right now with this passage in mind. And Lord, we ask that you would illumine the eyes of our understanding and help us, Lord, to understand what your word is saying to us this morning. Help us, Lord, to benefit from your word. Your word is alive and active. And we pray, Lord, that you might use it to impart life to us, that you would glorify yourself and sanctify us through your word. We ask these things, Lord, because we need for you to do these things for us. And so we look to you, Lord, with need. Lord, we ask these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Again, the message is entitled Relationships. What we are called to do in our relationships with one another in general regarding leaders and regarding struggling believers. Number one, we are called to encourage one another. This is what God calls us to do. We are called to encourage one another. In verse 11, we read, therefore, encourage one another. As far as the therefore is concerned, I want to hearken you back to verse 9. And once again, looking at verse 9, notice what the Apostle Paul says to the church at Thessalonica. He says, for God has not destined us for wrath. We are not under the wrath of God. But instead, he has destined us for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who incidentally died for us. That is how it is that we can be saved. That is how it is that we can be forgiven. That is how it is that we can be freed from the guilt and power of sin in our lives. It is through the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is our only hope. He is the only way of salvation. And Jesus Christ died for us that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together. This is relationship 
terminology. We may live together with the Lord Jesus Christ. And so you see we have this gospel foundation, if you will. And upon the gospel foundation, he then goes on to say, Therefore, encourage one another. Encourage one another with the gospel. Do for one another what I have just done for you. I have ministered gospel truth to you with the goal of encouraging you. And I want you, in turn, to do the same to your brothers and sisters in Christ. This is what God calls us to do. He calls us to encourage one another in the gospel. This involves helping folks to understand and to embrace the gospel. This involves helping folks to embrace the reality of who God is. It is helping people to understand that our God is a good God. He is faithful. He is sovereign. And He is working in the lives of our fellow brothers and sisters so that they might become all that God calls them to be. This is helping our folks to, encur- to embrace the encouraging promises of God For example, when they are tempted to discouragement. It's helping people to know that God's word tells them that he will complete the work that he began. It's helping our brothers and sisters to know as we seek to encourage them that God, that God is causing everything to work together for good to those who love him. And are called according to their purpose. It's helping people to understand and to know that they have a powerful God who is on their side. A faithful God who is committed to them. A God whom they can trust in. So that as a result, they might be encouraged with the reality of who God is. They might be encouraged with the reality of God's promises given to them in his precious word. This is important because biblical encouragement helps motivate folks to persevere in their faith. Brothers and sisters, this is a calling of God upon all of us that we encourage one another with the powerful gospel. We are called to encourage one another. Number two, we are called to build up one another. 1 Thessalonians 5.11 says, Therefore, Encourage one another and build up one another. Now this, this word build up is a term that is often used of the construction of a building. It is a building term, if you will. Now think about the construction of a building with me for a minute. The construction of a building entails vision. There's got to be a blueprint, if you will. There's got to be a plan. You don't just construct a building apart from knowing what the building that you are constructing is going to look like. And in order to know that, you have to have a plan in hand, right? You've got to have a vision for what this thing is supposed to look like. But the construction of a building also requires proper materials and tools, You must have the proper tools and the proper materials if you're going to cause what is on the blueprint to come into reality. And then it demands manpower. You can have the plans. You can have the equipment and the materials and the tools and all of that that's necessary. But if you don't have manpower, the building will not come into fruition. Similarly, similarly, we should have a vision for what our fellow brothers and sisters should look like as individuals as well as within the context of community. We should have a vision for what God wants 
for our brothers and sisters in Christ. And part of that vision involves us looking like Christ, being like Christ, behaving like Christ, walking in the footsteps of the Lord Jesus Christ and manifesting the fruit of the Spirit. We must have a vision. We should have a vision. And we encourage people in the vision that God has for them. Uh, Similarly, we must utilize the proper tools. The proper tools when we build up one another. And those proper tools would include the gospel and the word of God in which the gospel has been revealed along with the privilege of prayer and the gifts of the Holy Spirit. These are the tools that God has given to us. These are the resources that are ours so that through these resources we might be able to build up one another. And then also, we must become actively involved. Uh, we must apply ourselves. This is, this is a call to the entire Christian church to engage in building. Everyone has a part to play. There is no place for bench warmers. There is no place for spectatorship. And what a blessing it is, what a privilege it is that God calls us into this game. And he says, you know what? You're not going to ride the pine. And he says, you know what? You're not going to stand on the sidelines. I want you to get involved. And I want you to participate in the building up of the body of Christ. This is a call to community growth. I would like to direct your attention to this portion at the end of the passage. Again, 5.11, Therefore, encourage one another and build up one another, just as you also are doing. What is interesting here is that the Apostle Paul is telling them that this is something that you already are doing. Well, why are you telling them to do it then if they're already doing it? Well, this is just what the Apostle Paul does oftentimes. He also earlier commends them for the fact that they love one another, but then he tells them to excel still more and more. And here he is telling them, encourage and build up one another. You're already doing it, but he's encouraging them to do it even more because Paul does not want them to settle with where they're at. He is pushing them to a greater level of excellence in their Christianity, in their growth, in their walks with Christ. And so therefore, he is exhorting them to do the things that he is already um, acknowledging that they are doing. Well, let's move on. This is general. This is in general. Okay, In general, in our relationship to one another, we are called by God to encourage one another and to build up one another. And now the Apostle Paul is going to direct our attention to the issue of leadership. And he's going to talk about how we are called by the Lord um, in regard to our leaders to appreciate them and to esteem them. Read the verse with me, please. First Thessalonians 5.12 But we request of you. Just take note of that contrasting conjunction with me. But, but. See, he has already commended them. And now what he is about to say is going to be said in order, in order to um, um, correct them, if you will, in order, to, um, in order to encourage them to do something that perhaps some of them weren't doing. Okay? So he says, but... 
we request of you. Please take note of the fact that he's not commanding them at this point. This is a request that the Apostle Paul is making of those to whom he is writing. He is requesting of the brethren. He says that you appreciate those who diligently labor among you and have charge over you in the Lord and give you instruction and that you esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Live in peace with one another. So this brings us to number three. We are called to appreciate our spiritual leaders. The word appreciate literally means to know. And so we are called to know our spiritual leaders. In context, it is a knowing that is accompanied by appreciation. It's not just knowing them, but it's knowing them with a sense of appreciating them for who they are and for what they do. John MacArthur, in commenting on um, this passage, says the following. People are to know their pastors well enough to have an intimate appreciation for them because of their value. And so we are called to appreciate our spiritual leaders uh, because of what it is that they do. And notice he, he makes reference to three particular things that they do. They diligently labor among you. They have charge over you in the Lord and, and they give you instruction. And this is an exhortation, if you will, to the leaders themselves to be these things. So we move on to number four. We are called to esteem our spiritual leaders. In verse 13, we read, And that you esteem them very highly in love because of their work. That you esteem them very highly. The word esteem has the idea of thinking rightly and lovingly. And so the people of God, the brethren are called by God in their relationship to their spiritual leaders to think rightly and lovingly of their elders, of their pastors, of their shepherds. These are the guys who diligently labor over them. They work to the point of exhaustion and they have a God-given authority over them as those who must give an account for their souls. They have a sense of, of authority over the flock and they are the ones who are called by the Lord among others, but they are called by the Lord to provide gospel instruction so that the people of God might in fact be encouraged and built up. We read in Ephesians that God has given to the church apostles, prophets, evangelists, and pastors, teachers for the equipping of the saints so that they may ultimately be able to do the work of ministry. But the part of the point of that passage is how God has given these gifts to the church. And, and part of the gifts include the pastor teachers, the elders, if you will, the overseers, the shepherds. God has given these men to the church as gifts to the church. And being that they are gifts to the church, God's people are called to appreciate and to esteem who it is that the Lord has given to the church. And then finally we get to the very end of verse 13, and this introduces us to, to the fifth point. We are called to live in peace with our spiritual leaders. We are called, now see, we have here, a command. He starts by saying, we request of you. But now we get to the place where the Apostle Paul is issuing forth a command. And as far as the relationship between the leaders and the flock is concerned, the command is this. Live in peace with one another. 
What is interesting is he does not single out one over the other. He does not say um, um, elders, shepherds, live in peace with your flock. Or he is not saying, yo, flock, live in peace with your elders. What is implied here is he is speaking to both equally. And to both equally, he is saying, live in peace with one another. Dwell in peace with one another. Uh, your relationship. The relationship that you have between, between yourself and the shepherds and the shepherds and yourself. This relationship needs to be marked by peace. Clearly the Apostle Paul thought that it was important in the church of God. That the relationship between the leaders and the flock is a relationship that is marked by peace. So we are to appreciate the esteem and live in peace with our spiritual leaders. I've been here at Cornerstone Fellowship Bible Church for about 17 years. I think ever since about 1993. And once in a while I begin to think about um, Pastor Milton Vincent and his ministry to me in my life. And, and I got to figuring that I've probably heard roughly some 1,600 sermons from him over the years. Um, 1,600 sermons. That would... Uh, you know, be roughly 24,000 hours of time that Milton, in his sermon preparation, assuming he averages 15 hours a sermon, this is, this is 24,000 hours of time that Milton has invested in me. And, um, and you know, I, I, I think, I think this, this should cause me to appreciate his investment of time. In my life, I should esteem him very highly in love. Um, oftentimes I think to myself, where would I be without God using his servant, Milton Vincent, Pastor Milton, in my life to faithfully, week after week, minister his word to me so that through the power of his word, I might be encouraged and I might be built up and I might be strengthened and edified. Well, the Apostle Paul gives us some general commands to all the believers. Um, encourage, build up. And then he speaks about believers and their relationship to the leaders. Um, you know, appreciate them, esteem them. He's going to move our attention now um, to our relationship with those who are struggling. Our relationship with those who are struggling. Brothers and sisters, there are people, perhaps even sitting right next to you, who are struggling in one way or another. And God has a call upon you in your relationship to them. And I believe that as we are uh, listening um, to this sermon as we are reading through the passage and as we continue to look on, there may be something very specific that God wants to say to us here. But please note that your brothers and sisters around you have not arrived. That there are brothers and sisters around you who struggle in some way or another. Perhaps as a husband or as a wife or as a parent. Perhaps they're struggling with, with sin in their own lives. There are those who are struggling and we have a calling of God in our relationship to those who are struggling. And so listen as we continue on. 
Number six, we are called to admonish the unruly. And we urge you, verse 13, we urge you, brethren, we are not just speaking to the leaders of the church. We are not just speaking to the pastors of the church. We are speaking to the entire church, to all of the brothers and sisters in Christ who are at Thessalonica and by way of extension who are in Cornerstone Fellowship Bible Church. We urge you, brethren, admonish the unruly. Now think with me about the term unruly. Unruly is a military term that speaks of those who have fallen out of line. The idea is that they have chosen not to pursue the same direction in which everyone else is going. They don't work well with the team. The unruly person prefers to do things his or her own way. They are unruly in the sense that they don't work well under leadership and they don't work well with others. And what is it that such folks need? What is it that these who have fallen out of line need? The Apostle Paul says they need to be admonished. The word admonished means to put sense into, to come alongside and to put some sense into their heads. One writer says it is the idea of coming to someone who is following a path that ultimately ends in serious consequences and instructing them about the inevitability of those consequences. It's coming alongside someone, someone who is unruly and helping them to understand that in that state they are removing themselves out from underneath the umbrella of God's blessings and they are in a potentially dangerous spot and they need to get back in line. God is calling the people in the church of God to admonish the unruly. Number seven, we are called to encourage the faint-hearted. And we urge you, brethren, admonish the unruly, encourage the faint-hearted. What does it mean to be faint-hearted? The word literally means small-souled. Small-souled. These are the types of people who fear the unknown. They might worry about things. They oftentimes worry about everything One person said that they see the manure pile in every meadow. The glass is always half empty as opposed to half full. This is just the perspective on life that they oftentimes have. They lack courage. They love what is safe. They can struggle to take steps of faith. They are the opposite of Joshua and Caleb. Now you remember Joshua and Caleb. They were the spies who went out into the promised land to get a report and to bring back that report to Moses and the Israelites. And so they go out into this promised land, the land that God has promised to his people. I will give this land to you, a land flowing with milk and honey. So Joshua and Caleb, they go out and they spy out the land. And there were others that went with them, but they were the two that came back. And when they came back, they said, you know what? There are giants in the land. There's giants in the land. We can take them. We can do it. You see, Joshua and Caleb were large-souled, if you will. They had trust. They had faith. They were willing to take things on. If a challenge came their way, they trusted in the Lord, and they knew that the Lord was going to lead and direct and guide and provide for them. This is so antithetical. This is so opposite of the small-souled person, the faint-hearted person. Faint-hearted folks want a risk-free life with absolute security. They can oftentimes be melancholy. They lack the strength to move out with the church and take challenges. 
to strike out in new ministries. They fear persecution. They don't like to communicate Christ for fear that, that someone's going to you know, um, uh, persecute them for it. They're oftentimes afraid of opposition, usually sad, all the time worried, depressed and despair and discouraged. They have no spirit of adventure. They cannot rise above their problems and all of the issues of life are, are more than they can bear. They are crushed souls. And what do we do with those who are faint of heart? What do you do when you run across someone uh, in, in, in the body of Christ, someone in your care group, someone in this church, uh, someone in your family who is faint of heart? What do you do? You come alongside and you encourage the faint of heart. To encourage is to speak to someone by coming close to his side. You get close to his side and you speak. You speak words of encouragement. You minister gospel truth to this person. It has the idea of coming alongside to console and to comfort, to strengthen, to reassure, to cheer up, to refresh, to soothe. It is directing them to the gospel and helping them to see their end. Their great God and his provision and his commitment and his care for them. Those who are faint of heart need to be encouraged. And so we move on to number eight. We are called to help the weak. We urge you, brethren, admonish the unruly, encourage the faint hearted and to help the weak. Help the weak. The weak are those without spiritual and moral strength. There are those around you who have very little spiritual and moral strength. They are weak. This may include those whose faith is weak in the sense that they cannot do what they have the freedom in Christ to do. And so they are a weaker brother or sister, if you will. This also speaks of those who are weak in the sense that they are susceptible to sin. No sooner do you help them out of sin than you have to do it all over again. They, they keep slipping up. They keep falling back into the sin. And uh, with these people who are weak, what are we to do? We are called by God to help them. To help. To hold firmly to. To hold firmly to. To hold tightly. To cling to. To support. To hold them up. A parallel passage, I think, that communicates this idea is in Galatians 6.1. And it says this. If a brother or sister is overtaken in a fall, you that are spiritual, what? Pick him up. Pick him up. And then it says, bear one another's burden. That's the second step. Hold him up. Hold him up, hold him up, support. So, so you, you pick him up and then you hold him up. This is what you do with those who are weak. You don't just stand at a distance from them. You don't just stand aloof from those who are weak. You don't stand aloof from those people, but you come alongside, you pick them up and you hold them up. And you walk with them and you help that person to get to the place where they are no longer weak. You help that person. This is God's call upon us when we have those in our midst who are spiritually weak. And again, this is not just God speaking to the leaders of the church. He is speaking through Paul to the church at large. This is what God calls us to do. This is a call to relationship. This is a call to community sanctification, to community growth, if you will. Number nine, 
We are called to be patient with everyone. Right? Uh, admonish the unruly, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with all men. Now you see, brothers and sisters, the temptation is that when we're dealing with those who are unruly, or we're dealing with those who are faint of heart, or we're dealing with those who are weak, the temptation is for us to lose patience with them. How many times do I have to tell you? And yet you keep going back into the same muck and mire. What is your problem? That is the opposite of what patience is. We are called to come alongside and to lovingly, gently, mercifully, with compassion, with love, to continue to minister to them in such a way to where they can be encouraged or they might be admonished or they might be helped. We've got to be patient. It may take a week. It may take a month. It may take a year. Low, it may take a decade or even more of coming alongside a person and continuing to minister gospel truth to the person, to bring them to the place to where they are no longer faint of heart, they are no longer unruly, they are, they are no longer weak. And God is calling us into this ministry. And as He calls us into this, He says, be patient. Patience is a fruit of the Spirit. And so in essence, He is calling us to walk in the power of the Spirit. And as we walk in the power of the Spirit, uh, the fruit of the Spirit, part of the fruit of the Spirit is patience. We are then able to exercise patience. The same patience that the Lord Himself has given to us. He has been extremely patient with us, has He not? How many times have we messed up before the Lord? How many countless times have we blown it before the Lord? How many times have we picked up the hammer and nailed the nail in his wrist all the more deeper? How many times have we transgressed time and time and time again? And yet the Lord has been so incredibly patient with us. And the patience that he has extended to us is a patience that we must practice in relation to those around us as well. Be patient. Be patient with everyone. Moving on to number 10. We are called to do good to those who sin against us. You see, oftentimes, um, these people to whom you minister, oftentimes in their struggle, they may sin against you. And if they do sin against you, how are you to respond? How are you to react? Do not render evil for evil. Do not render evil for evil. The passage tells us, see, Verse 15, that no one repays another with evil for evil, but always seek after that which is good for one another. You see, it's not just that we do not render evil for evil. It's not just that we are willing to exercise forgiveness, but we take it to the next level and we actually seek after that which is good for the one who has sinned against us. This is the gospel, brothers and sisters. And this is what we are called to emulate. We are called to walk in the footsteps of Jesus. He was sent against greatly by us. And yet he has forgiven us. He has entered into a relationship with us. He has been kind to us. He has done good to us. And we are to do the same. Okay, and so as we look at this passage, we start with the general and then we get focused on the relationships between the leaders and the flock. And then relationships with those who are struggling. And we come to our final point then. Once again, we get back to the place of a general statement, if you will. 
We are called to always seek after that which is good for everyone. We are called to always seek. You are called to always seek after that which is good for everyone. God's call upon you. Brothers and sisters, everything that has been said thus far falls underneath this statement. It falls underneath this umbrella. This is it. You can forget everything of what I said and you can actually summarize it in this one thing. We are called to always seek after that which is good for everyone. Listen to the verse. He says, always seek after that which is good for all men. There you have it. This brings us back full circle to the gospel because this is, in essence, what Christ did for us. In hanging upon the cross, he took upon himself the punishment that we deserved. He looked upon our sad situation. He looked upon you and I in our sin. And he says, you know what? I will do something about their sin. I will go to the cross and I will die in their place for them. I will be the propitiation for their sin. I will turn aside the wrath of God from them. From them and I will receive it upon myself. I will die in their place. This is what Christ did. And I will be a blessing to them. I will, I will give to them my life so that they might have life. And similarly, we are to be like Christ in our relationships to one another. Once again, guys, always seek. Turn your attention to. Look in the direction of that which is good for your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. Again, when you, when you think about these things, the implication of relationship is all over the place. There is a demand here upon us to selflessness. Selflessness. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others, is what Paul to the Philippians says. Be thinking about others. Jesus first, others second, yourself last. You're looking for a kingdom you're looking to establish a kingdom that is bigger than your own kingdom in which you are the ruler of your own kingdom. You're seeking to join God in his kingdom work and to build up the kingdom of God. And God, in wanting you to build up his kingdom, gives us a call here this morning. And that call that he, that he gives to us this morning is a call to encourage one another to build up one another, to appreciate our spiritual leaders, to esteem our spiritual leaders, to live in peace with our spiritual leaders, to admonish the unruly, to encourage the faint-hearted, to help the weak, being patient with everyone. Incidentally, guys, if you look at that admonish the unruly, encourage the faint-hearted, and help the weak, you've got three different types of people and three different ways of approaching them. Think about that. Okay, know how a person is doing before you decide on how you are to minister to that person. And then we have to do good to those who sin against us and to always seek after that which is good for everyone. I want to ask you to join with me in prayer. And as the ushers come forward to collect our offerings, I want us to ask the Lord to cement these truths in our hearts and to cause these things to be applied in our lives. Pray with me, please. Heavenly Father, we just come before you with your word, and we thank you for it. And I pray, Lord, that you would just help us to be a body.
who would get involved in the lives of one another. Help us, Lord, to grow in relationship. Our world screams against relationship. The world around us presses us into individualism, into isolationism. And you are calling us to relationship with one another. And you give us some specific ways of dealing with relationships with one another. And I pray that you would just help us to heed these things this morning. And now, Lord, as we give back to you a portion of what you have given to us, we pray that you would use these gifts in an effort to advance your kingdom, to advance your cause, and to advance godly biblical relationships where folks come right before you and they come right with one another and you are glorified and your church is sanctified. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.